if you've been uh, part of uh, the last few months here, uh, you've uh, noticed that we've been in this uh, story called uh, Abraham and in Genesis. And we're towards the end of the series, and if you are new, we're just glad that you are here with us. And through the story of Abraham, we as the church, we as followers of Jesus, we are learning more about what it means to live a life of faith. And today's message is a hard one because today's story is one of the craziest stories in the Bible. One of the stories where many actually folks who are not followers of Jesus or folks who are checking out Christianity, this is one of the passages that they have the most, one of the hardest time really uh, processing. And, and in, in surveys around, uh, this is one of the stories where they say, see, you see, I've always known that this Old Testament God is evil and scary, and I'm, I'm not sure about that. It seems archaic at best. And um, we're going to be actually exploring that. I don't know why they always give me hard passages. It's like a punishment for me. But, uh, but as we do, actually, um, our prayer is that, um, that God would show up. And that through this crazy story where so many folks have a hard time processing, whether they can trust that God is good and faithful and he's an awesome provider, in this yet a difficult passage, uh, our hope is that through this journey that we actually do see something really beautiful and good about God. Would you pray with me and let's begin together. Uh, God, we thank you for this story of Abraham, the life of faith, and God, we are at a crossroads, a, a difficult passage, and God, we ask that as we explore this passage together, that you would do what you always do, that you would show up, and that you would reveal yourself, uh, that we would not, uh, that as we read the stories, that we would not miss actually what you're really trying to say. Would you give us the grace and the understanding? God, give us the uh, perseverance to kind of process this passage together. And ultimately through this, God, that may we uh, follow you better. May we uh, trust in you more. May that be the prayer and the hope of this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, we're going to start with this uh, story in Genesis chapter 22. And this story, you're like, what are you talking about, David? Like, what story is this? This story in Genesis 22 is God himself asking Abraham, the man of faith, right? The person that's been just treading along, asking Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son on the altar. Now you're like, okay, yeah. Like this story is of God, like the God that we just sang about. Like you're the provider, you are good. And God says, hey, I want you to go and kill your son. Like even the picture of that, like just an invitation, even the words that are coming out of God's mouth, we wonder, is God actually good? Is God, does God really provide? Is he really for us? I mean, that son that you're asking him to sacrifice, you know, that's actually part of your very promise. You said that through your descendants, you will be a blessing uh, throughout the nations and to the world, and that this son will carry that promise. Actually, that son that I gave you is part of my very own goodness and promise. And by the way, I want you to now sacrifice that. So is God evil? Is God archaic? Does he enjoy child sacrifices? And on the surface, as we just read this passage, you're like, yeah, that's what he's literally saying. And 
Here's a, a painter that, um, a famous painter, uh, Italian painter. I'm, I, I'm, we just celebrated an Italian uh, 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 minister for 45 years, so I'm going to botch the, the, the artist's name. I'm like, why did I bring an Italian artist to start off my message as we celebrate? You guys should have warned me, elders, pastors, leaders. <laughs> Right? Carl Vaggio is, I think, how you pronounce it. I'm wrong. I'm going to be rebuked at the end, but that's okay. Um, and this is a famous uh, depiction of his take, right? As we look here, you see Abraham, right? And that's the scene. Uh, his one and only son, Isaac, um, about to sacrifice him on the altar as God has literally instructed him to do. Um, on my right, there's the angel, you see, and you see this dark painting, right? And, and on the surface, you're like, what? What is this? How is this, how is this unfolding in, in, uh, in the scriptures? What is God doing? Does he care? Is he good? Is he faithful to the promises? What is God up to? And um, so let me just read for us. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, just the start of this story. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, again, Abraham. And Abraham replies, here I am. And then God said, I mean, these are words that we just sang about. God, you're good. You're, you're going to make the way and you're faithful. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And as I read this, uh, any parents in the room? Man, like, I have two girls. I'm like, I, what? Uh, uh, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And so let's go and, and let me compare this to Genesis 12, which we learned a little bit earlier. And I'm just going to compare what's happening in two sections. Remember Genesis 12, when, when God first shows up to Abraham, God says, leave your country, your people, and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. Right? This is the beginnings of Abraham's journey of faith with God, with Yahweh, uh, the one and true king. And in Genesis 22, you see a parallel going on. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mountain, I will show you. Right? You see the parallel. What, what we see here, and you guys got to look at this carefully, is that in the life of faith, what you see is the, the, that that is exactly what God invites us to do. I love when the missionaries and, and came up, like, we're not sure, uh, we're not sure where God is leading us next, but we trust God and that God is faithful. I mean, like, this is exactly what I'm about to preach on. And your, your, your missionaries embodying that. We're not exactly sure what the plan is. God will show you the next steps. I know it's not Kentucky. I understand. Right? Me too. Uh, right? I know it's not Idaho, and I get it. And, but, but to the land, whatever that land is, besides those four states or whatever cities, um, these are the land, and God, God will show you. And the life of faith is so much like this. As we are learning about what it means to follow God, what we learn from this story is that a lot of times it's all about trusting. God will not give you the exact details of the situation, he's not going to, it's not, God's not like Google Maps where when you press it, it gives you the exact coordinates and the direction and the way to get there. God says, just follow me and I will show you as you and as 
we go. That, this is the life of faith. But what's interesting about Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 is this, that in the beginning stages of your faith journey with God, and many of you, if you are new to the faith or just think back to the first time that you've encountered Jesus and you follow, leave your country. The beginnings of the faith always starts with leaving your past behind. Huh, right? Leaving something behind. Right? As you start, if you're new to the faith and if, you are, uh, if you've been part of the faith journey for a while, you know this, that as you say yes to the loving kindness of Jesus, you are beginning to say, you know what, no longer I will live in this way. I will, I will leave my past. I will leave, of course, not all the way, but we will begin that journey. And that's the earliest journeys of our faith in Genesis 12. And by the way... Um, I didn't know that growing up. And so I was, I was a PK pastor's kid growing up in a church. I knew all the Bible verses and won all the prizes as they did memory verse contests and all the fun games that we play about Bible trivia. I knew uh, all the church answers because my dad's a pastor and I grew up in the church. But I didn't know that this personal faith journey, actually, as you encounter Jesus, is to say no to the things of my life that has captured me and said yes to the way of Jesus. So I was a Pharisee. I, I grew up knowing all of the answers, but my heart posture, as Danny said, my heart posture wasn't for Jesus. I didn't leave anything behind. I actually kept everything, and I thought I was following Jesus. And I wasn't at all. All my lifestyle, the things that I wanted to do, things that I, all the pleasures of this world, I just partook in all of it. I had no qualms. I came to church, answered all the questions, but in my way, my life was not captured at all by Jesus of saying, I will leave things behind. And so what did I do as I journeyed that faith journey? And 20 years old, I became a pastor. <laughs> And I became a pastor, and I became a youth pastor. And again, my life was not radically changed by Jesus at all. I did not leave anything behind. I kept all of it, and I thought I was following Jesus, but I did not leave anything behind. And so I would come up, and I would preach. But again, I wasn't following Jesus at all. He was not even my Lord and Savior. And so I would preach at them and say, you guys need Jesus. You need to repent. And I was just doing what I've been told all my life. And one day, a student came up. Ah, it's interesting how students, uh, they radically change the course of your life. One of the students came up and said, hey, Pastor David, I've been listening to now four months of your message, and um, there's no Jesus in it at all. Oh, ouch. I was like, how dare you? I'm the Padna. I was like, ouch. And, and, and you, uh, I think all you do is to just try to crack jokes that, so that we would like you more. But more and more, you just crack jokes and not actually talk about the Bible. It actually makes you respect you less. And she's like, see ya. <laughs> I still remember that. Those 20, I'm still, any therapist here? I still need healing, right? <laughs> Oh, Jesus, I still remember that exact phrase. I came down. It was the first word she said, right? And I didn't know how to process that. And a few weeks later, again, I was up on the stage doing what I get paid to do. I'm the pastor. You are the people who need Jesus, right? And so I would preach again. And in the, 
in the middle of the message, I was preaching about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I was just like, you need it more than anyone else. And then I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard a gentle whisper. In the middle of my message, the gentle whisper said, David, you need the grace of Jesus Christ. Like I'm in the middle of my, like, like this. And I, again, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a gentle whisper from the Lord. And at that moment, I realized, oh my goodness, I didn't leave anything, leave your country. Like, no, I was just living the world the way I wanted all my life. And I thought because I knew all the Bible answers that I was a Christian. And I wasn't even radically transformed by the grace. And so at that moment, I received Christ as the Lord and Savior. People ask me all the time, who's, your, who's the best preacher of all time? I say, David Kim, because I, David Kim led me to Christ, <laughs> right? And you're like, oh, he has narcissism, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? He really needs counseling now, right? No, it's actually, no, I, I'm embarrassed by that, actually. I'm a pastor coming up and leading a church, leading a ministry. I'm embarrassed to share the story. It's, it's like, oh, David Kim led himself to Christ. No, in all of it, like, my goodness, like, I didn't understand the faith journey at all. That the faith journey is really about saying, saying no to my patterns of the world and saying yes to Jesus. And here's the thing. As you journey, you're like, when are you moving home from the slide? As you journey, you'll get to a place of Genesis 22 where God is not only going to say, leave something behind and go to the land that I will show you. What God's going to say is that, take something that you love and lay it down before me. That becomes the next step in your journey. Again, not to harm you, not to punish you, but to take things that you hold dear to your heart and to lay it down. And you know, if you've been following Jesus, that that's the next step of your faith journey. That we are called to lay that things down before the altar of God. And we see that and you see how this will all unfold. Let's continue. Um, and, and I love actually how uh, a theologian, uh, Fleming Rutledge, says this about this text. In the command that Abraham slaughtered his own son, I mean, look at this. The promise of the salvation of the whole world that Abraham had followed so faithfully for so many decades seems to be revealed as nothing more than a passing fancy of the deity. Wow, what are words? She says this. God had abandoned his promise and with consummate cruelty had ordered Abraham to destroy what he, God, had been playing around with all along, casting both father and son aside as though they were of no account, as though all those years of obedience and trust had been nothing but a ghastly celestial joke. And what we want to say is that this is what we call a subversive art, okay? I, I just want to share with you what, and we see this in our modern time. And, and here's another famous uh, uh, graffiti artist. If you know, how many of you guys know Banksy? Okay, a few of you, very well known. And nobody knows who this individual is, but is one of the most world-renowned graffiti artists. And if you look at this, this is called... Uh, flower thrower. 
When you see as an individual, really angry actually, uh, an anarchist trying to provide and offer harm and evil and is angry and upset at whatever the situation may be. And you and I, as we look at this painting and this graffiti artist, we would assume that this anarchist would hold a weapon or a bomb or something. But you, what you see is a bouquet of flowers, right? Like, you're like, what is happening? Actually, another title for this uh, image is called rage, right? This person is incredibly angry. And what this artist is doing is that this artist is critiquing the norm of its day. Instead of violence, what if in the midst of violence, that instead of offering more violence, that we offer love? And you're like, how is this, what does this have to do with our story today? What this story I want to share with you is that this is God's version of subversive art. This is actually in the ancient days that God's of the world that in the ancient Near Eastern context would actually ask their followers to kill and sacrifice their own children to appease the gods or to win the favor of the gods. Let me say that again. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, the, these gods would ask their followers to sacrifice their children to appease or to win the favor of the gods. And what God is doing is that as he's showing up to Abraham and saying, I want you to sacrifice your only, one and only son, like everybody in their image is going, oh yeah, that's what we all do. That's the cultural norm of the day. Violence, yeah, we get that. But what God's going to do is he's going to do a subversive act where actually I'm going to critique the cultural norm of the day. Isn't, isn't God so smart? Right? You're like, David, yes. <laughs> God's so beautiful. Like such a crazy text. But in that, God is subverting. God is actually going into the cultural understanding of the day. And God is saying, I'm not like the, any other gods around you. You've heard it said that all these other gods around do the same thing. All they do is they got to give and give and give. And all they got to do is I take from you. I take your children from you. I take everything from you. But what God is saying is this. I'm different. As you see me, that I'm different from all the gods of its day. And this is what God is doing in this story. Would you follow with me in verse 3 and following? And this is really beautiful. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place at the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Let's continue on the story. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And so again, if Isaac's carrying the wood, we think this is like, he's like maybe like three or four. He's not. He's like 15 or 16 at this point, right? So he's carrying all of it. Isaac spoke up and as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke and said, 
to his father, uh, Abraham, father, yes, my son. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, I shouldn't laugh at this story, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, Abraham said, replied, the father and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb of, I mean, the, the, he's a teenager. He's not stupid here. He's like, daddy, like we're, we have everything ready. I know this ritual. We've, do, we've done it in, in, in our culture all the time, but there is no uh, animal that I see around, right? And, and so he's really smart and aware of the situation. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, and the story goes like this. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they had reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. My goodness, look at the story. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as, as a burnt offering instead of his son. So, God, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Whew. So some lessons here as we kind of wrap up like what the story means for us as we follow Jesus here in Silicon Valley. Here is, again, the subversive art, what we call, for most scholars, we call this a prophetic reenactment. Okay, so you're like, why would God do such a thing like this? All throughout the Bible, many times, if you're familiar with the stories in the scriptures, we see that God actually asks his leaders, his prophets, to reenact to embody God's heart or the picture of what God is doing for the followers and for the world, right? Often the people in the Bible are instructed by God to do strange things as a way of prophetically reenacting and physically embodying the heart of God himself. Self. So if you are familiar with the scripture, let me just show you a little bit. So we know that Abraham, this thing isn't just one random thing. Hosea, like God says, hey, why don't you go marry a prostitute? Hosea's like, what, what are you talking about? Marriage? I, no, like prostitute will not be faithful to me. I thought marriage is about between husband and wife, a committed in, 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 in actual real commitment, faithfulness, and God is saying, no, I want you to do this. I want you to embody it because that is actually my relationship to my people. Like, I am committed to you. I'm committed to me, I, uh, me like David, <laughs> and I'm committed to the Israelites, but, but my people have gone astray. They have been unfaithful. 
And this relationship, I want you to embody that as a prophetic enactment and an announcement of what my heart really feels like in this season. That Hosea, as you marry somebody who is unfaithful to you, I want you to carry for me my heart. Like this is what God does to show almost a, this is God's PowerPoint slide. Right? Ezekiel, this one's really obscure, but it's like when you read it, it's really funny. God asks Ezekiel to lay on his side for 390 days. Do you know how weird that is? Like, can I just do it? Like, like, like this? Like for 390 days. And, and then Ezekiel goes, why? <laughs> like, God, well, you're so weird. Why would you do that? And I would ask the same thing. Like, God, why would you, why would I lay? And then after 390 days, God says, how comfortable was it? Ezekiel's like, super uncomfortable. Not three minutes that 90s. Like, I mean, you, you can, like 390 days. And God is saying, I want you to, sh I want you to embody the pain that I feel about my people. Like, this is God, like, Jeremiah, like, do not grieve your own wife. You're like, what are you talking about? If you've lost your loved ones, you know, like, as you have been wounded and there's pain and brokenness, and God is saying, that's how my heart feels like, and it's just an open wound, right? Jonah, as you see, and so all these stories that we see throughout the Bible, as you get to any funky stories, generally, and this is something that I'm nerding out in the, you're like, Sunday morning, don't nerd out for us. I'm nerding out a little bit here. Okay, Bible 101 here. If you see something funny and funky and strange, don't just reject God as something that's archaic and weird, just like the story of Genesis 22. Oftentimes these stories are God's invitation to prophetically reenact God's heart for his people so that we get a visual representation. And as the story continues, we see this. A beloved son carries the wood upon which he will die. And you know where this is going if you've been following uh, uh, the faith for a while, right? But ultimately, doubt abounds, but ultimately, God provides the sacrifice. So let me just start with the beloved son, that what we see here in Genesis 22 too, then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love. And I mean, goodness, the, 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 the connection to Matthew 3.17, we cannot not make it. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. And we know that God is talking about Jesus and, 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 and carries the wood upon which he will die. Genesis uh, 22, 7 and 8, Abraham took the wood and, and remember Isaac is carrying and placed it on his son Isaac. And in John 19, 16, 17, the, I mean, this Old Testament story is, is a prophetic reenactment of what is going to happen in the future. I mean, this is so, John 19, 16 and 17, the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross, the wood that's on Jesus' cross. He went out to the place of the skull. Doubt abounds. Genesis 22, 7 and 8. Isaac spoke up. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the offering? Matthew 26, 39. I mean, doubt abounds. Going a little further, like he felt, Jesus fell in his face and he said, God, if it's possible, make this copy. Take, I mean, this is what's going on here. Uh, yet not my will, but as yours will be done. And what we see in the story 
is a beloved son carrying the wood upon he will die. Doubt abounds, but ultimately what we see is that God provides the sacrifice. Like God provides the sacrifice. And this is really important. In the ancient culture, what we see is that we had to do all these things to appease God's anger or to make God love us more. But what God does through this story is that you've heard about child sacrifices. You know, I'm not like that. I don't ask you to kill, destroy children. And better yet, what I'm going to say is that I'm not asking you to sacrifice, but I'm going to sacrifice. I will be different than all other gods who demand and ask of things, but for me, I will do the work. And this, friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this is why we come to church and we worship and we sing about God because all the things of this world, the world demands and these gods of the world demands your performance. But our God, he sacrifices himself for us that we may have life. This, I mean... Praise Jesus that he doesn't require for us to do all these. Oh, sorry, my bun fell off. I got too excited. I got to stop working out. No, I don't work out at all. <laughs> Lord, help me. Okay. God! <laughs> no, got too excited here. Right, and, and, and let's go back to this painting again. Uh, uh, I'm... Uh, this, if you see this painting, this, uh, I mean, metaphorically, it's a, a dark painting. I mean, literally, it's a dark painting. But what you see, actually, is that this painter is actually helping us see certain things. This painter has intentionally made Abraham's face a little bit lighter. Do you see that? Do you see the light on his face? Do you also see, if you capture this story, do you see also the light on the angel? That in the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of all the chaos that's happening, in the midst of the things that you're like, what is God doing with my life? What is God doing with me in my faith journey? Why am I following this? And I'm not sure about my career, my future, my plans, my finances. I'm not sure about our church and where it's going. And today I know, I understand, it's a big day. And what has God been doing in the last 20 months? What about the global pandemic? What about things that are happening in my life? What about things that are happening in your relationship. You and I, all of us, have been or are in these dark moments. But what we see in this painting is that there is light. I love that. There's light in Abraham's face. There's light in the angel that God sends. There's even light on the sacrifice of Isaac. Do you see the light on Isaac? And if you look carefully, um, you're like, David, get out of the way. Sorry. Right? There's even a light on the ram that God is going to, God is providing. But what you notice in this entire thing is that the thing that is the brightest is on my right top corner. Do you see that? In the midst of what is happening, like sacrificing the son, God is asking us to follow him in areas that we are not even sure where it's going to end up. God is asking us to trust him with the church. God is asking us to trust him 
in our relationships. There may be somebody who is ill in your family. God is asking you to trust him with the health. God is asking you to trust him with a job application that you are, you've been struggling with. God is asking, and it seems like a sacrifice that makes no sense. It seems like as you follow and trust that God is nowhere to be found and that God is absent from your story, this church's story, but fear not, brothers and sisters. God is here with us. And fear not, because what you see is that there is a light on the right hand, and this painter is making a scene that God's light will shine through the darkness. And what you see is that there's a, all of a sudden, in this ancient story, like this is thousands of years ago, do you see like a, like a 17th century, like modern building? You're like, what the heck is happening? There's not like a 17th century building in in Abraham's story, right? This painter is not dumb. This painter is saying, I mean, this painter was from the 17th century. And that is actually a building, a church building. And what art historians are saying as they've been studying this piece for a long time is saying this, that God has ultimately offered his son, to the life of the church. That God's hope to this world will come through the church. That not even the gates of hell will not prevail. That God's hope is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that God's church and this church will continue to offer, not only in the past, not only in the present, but onto the future. God will, through this church and through the churches around the barrier, God will offer his life, his light, his goodness, his purpose, his kingdom through the church. Amen? I mean, what an exciting God that we serve and we trust. And this is, this is the victor. And, and, and by the way, friends, I wasn't supposed to preach this message on God's provision in the dark times this week, this Sunday. It was supposed to be like two weeks ago or last week. I don't even remember. But I got bumped to this week. Again, I just do whatever I get told. <laughs> I just get an email from your elders and your leaders. And I just get, yes. And, I, and as I've been reflecting and as we've been sitting in the room with your leaders and the worship team and as the elders crying and praying for this church, like, like, this is God's message for this church that I will provide. The verse says, when Abraham was about to say, like, this makes no sense. Where is God in all this? God says, wait, stop. I'm going to provide a ram, and my name will be now called the Lord will provide. Because that's who I am. That's what I do best. Every time in any place where in your life and in your church, it seems like God is no, it seems like God is nowhere to be found. It seems like things are so difficult that you don't know what's going to happen to the land that God will show you. God is reminding church through this message, through such a weird, obscure, ancient messages of Genesis 22 about Abraham sacrificing his son. And in that crazy story, God is saying, Calvary Los Gatos, would you be reminded that my name is the Lord will provide. 
Would you be reminded that as I've provided for Abraham, I have provided my son Jesus so that you and I could live. That in the midst of my youth pastor days, thinking that I'm okay and everyone's not, and God's saying, I will provide my grace and my son to you, David, so that you may truly have life, that you will not live according to your own ways and your fair sake patterns of what it means to be a righteous man or woman, and that God will say, no, I will do the work on your behalf. And this is what God does. And God is saying to us this morning that as you trust him and as we continue on to the next phases of the service, would you first and foremost not think anything of yourself, but would you look and take a moment and take a gaze upon our God who is our provider? And may that be the sense of your comfort in the midst of your fears and uncertainties and anxieties we all have. And you're like, what is that table to my right and my left? And as I end this message, I would love for the worship team to come up. And here's the invitation, right? Loving God means receiving the love of God, then being willing to trust his goodness enough to give that love back, no matter how little it makes sense. Let me say that again. This is great. Loving God means receiving the love of God, then being willing to trust him in his goodness enough that that when God says, hey, like that promise, that Isaac, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Your career, the finances and the blessings that God has given to you, your family and all the blessings of your your future and, and all of it, right? I'm not saying those are evil things. And God is also not saying I'm an evil God who's willing to take away, punish, steal. That's not what God is doing. But God is saying, do you trust that I'm still good in the midst of even the most un, un Uh, how little it makes sense of that ask. Do you trust that I will take care of you? Do you trust that above all the good things in your life, ultimately, I am the best thing for you? That I myself, like ultimately, it is I that you need and that you are continuing to trust me. And so we have to my right and to my left, and here's the invitation, right? And here's the question that I have for you this morning. God, I have had a difficult time trusting you with blank. Here's one action item for you as you process this. Just one thing. As we respond to Genesis 22 in the invitation of God. God, I have had a little time trusting you with this. I don't know what that is for you. God, I have a hard time trusting you with this. God, I know that you're asking me to surrender this, but I have a hard time. God, I know that you're asking me to trust me more with this decision. I have a hard time. God, I know that as we go through this, like this is something that I'm not sure that you will provide for me. And I have a hard time. And brothers and sisters, like as I ask this, I want you to just come and as an altar for you and I. As God, as Abraham is going to his own altar saying, I don't know, but God, I'm going to trust you with this. This is the son that I love. And I'm not sure what you're doing with it, but I have, I have a hard time trusting you, but Lord God, I will. And as Abraham did, again, I am not forcing you. Nobody's making you. If this is something that you would respond to, it could be about health, finances. It could be about your future. It could be about this church. It could be about your role. It could be anything, honestly. And you say, God, I want to trust you a little bit more in this area. What is the Holy Spirit stirring in you? And as I end, And as I invite you to sign, I will sign my thing too. And I will tell you what mine is as I reflect. I'm not going to invite you to do something that I will not share. And and as I think about it, I have two things that I 
I have a hard time trusting. Um, one is my future career, like as a pastor, I have certain things of what I want to do in the future. And I just feel like if, if I trust God, it's not going to, as silly as it sounds, it's not going to come about. So I'm going to take a little bit of the matters into my own hands and I'm going to force God's hand. I'm going to talk to those people. I'm going to set up these meetings. And I see myself doing that. I've seen myself tempted to do that, like with my future, like career. And so like, as I prepare for this message, God is saying, David, can you trust me with wherever, however I lead you? Can you trust me with that? And, and as just before you, I'm going to write that as part of my altar. The second one, this is a, a, a significant shame of mine, but I'm, I'm just going to go for it. I have a hard time trusting God with finances. Um, I just don't know, but it's like really hard for me. And for various reasons, and I'm not here to uh, uh, stir anything in you to do. I just want, I'm just sharing my own shame. And like, and for whatever the reason, living in the barrier with the finances and, uh, and with all that's going on, like I'm a little bit more, um, again, as I'm grabby with my career, like I'm a little bit more controlling with my finances too. And uh, I'm still processing that. This is a little bit raw for me that God has exposed recently. And so like, as I process this, I'm, I'm journeying with you, God. Like as I, as you have said, leave the things behind and take your one, take whatever that is and to sacrifice it on the altar. Those are the two things that I'm going to commit to prayer uh, for. Again, this is just me and God, but I'm just inviting you, whatever that may be, would you come forward and make that into a prayer? Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together for this uh, time. God, we come before you not, and, and we thank you that um, not because we do something for you that God, you will bless us or you'll provide all these A, B, C, D, but Lord God, we're just grateful that you're not the God who takes and steals and kills. God, we thank you that you are a good God and you provide for us. You have provided your son for our sins and you, you are providing for this church. You're providing for our family and you're providing for our individual longings of the hearts, God. And God, we know that you are a good God and you take care of your children. We know that you're not a cosmic vending machine. We're not saying, God, I want X, Y, Z. That's not what we're doing, but we're just grateful that you understand our needs and you care for your children. We just thank you that you're a good father. And so God, as we come to you with a little bit of our hands clenched, for me at least, God, I wanna surrender few things where like I have a hard time trusting you, God. And as we do, God, we know that this is not somehow magically going to solve our faith or give us more righteousness. That's not what we're doing. God, as we do, we just want to say this is our act of our own response to say, God, you are indeed our provider. You are the provider for this church and we trust you and we love you. May that be the act of declaration in this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.